Welcome back to Scotch Hour. I'm Noah. And I'm Jesse. All right. This is episode 151. Uh, I think we have a great lineup here. We have the Freud, uh, Cardius. I uh, hope I said that right. Uh, then we got our shout outs and get it together. It's followed by our restaurant review being the wild basil and our smarter challenge being the B 17 bomber and the uh, TV series masters of air. Uh, before we jump into the scotch, uh, thank you to all the, the viewers and subscribers on YouTube and Rumble. We greatly appreciate you uh, and all the many listeners on the very many different uh, podcast platforms. Uh, we greatly appreciate all of you as well. Please like, share, and subscribe if you like our content and leave some comments down below and we will do our best to comment on those. <laughs> Noah has selected for us a very exciting and, man, enticing scotch, single malt scotch, the Lafroig Cardias, man, 52.3% ABV. We believe this is the 2023 edition based on the packaging and the way that they've structured it. Uh, Noah did some of his little... Uh, detective work um, to, to determine and be sure this was the 2023 edition of which we have some promising prospects in flavor, in scent, and in finish for enjoying uh, this single malt scotch. Couple very simple basics about Lafroig. We've done a number of their scotches, although we have found tonight, we thought we'd done scotches on the show, <coughs> Island Park, that we haven't, um, and we have have a plethora of them for our future so we're excited for that but with lafroy this is an isla single malt scotch we mentioned 52.3 percent abv this one before tax pricing right around the 110 dollar mark here in the united states um this the lafroy distillery is right off of port ellen in isla um they do have man three wash stills Four spirit stills, potential output of 3.3 million liters per year. Sounds like a lot until you've ever done any research on Glenfiddich and you realize that is nothing, but that's still a big deal. Uh, their water source, the Kilbride Dam, um, originally founded in 1815 by Donald and Alexander Johnson, currently owned by Beam Suntory. And Beam, who originally bought it decades ago, was further acquired by Suntory Morris recently. Um, this particular scotch, three quarters of it is aged in ex Madeira casks. The other quarter is aged in white pork. <laughs> pork. <laughs> white yeah, the, pork. The other white meat. <laughs> the other white meat. White pork casks. <laughs> port, by the way. Port, P-O-R-T. No matter how much that sounds like bacon, because Jesus loves us. <laughs> uh, port, white port. Uh, but with that, um, Lafroig is off. She wants her white port. <laughs> That's right. 
But the throwing often known for a very, a very peaty, smoky scotch. Um, at one point in time, it was believed that Lagavulin had stolen some of their methods, at which point Lafroig turned around and changed some of their own maturation processes. It's just so interesting uh, of the very limited, less than 10 distilleries on the island of Isla. Um, this being one that's been around since 1815. Super excited, known as one of the most richly flavored of all Scottish whiskeys. And Lafroy is very big on community. And one of the reasons I say this is uh, part of the Cardias name, the Cardias uh, in Gaelic is friendship. And one of the big pieces with Lafroy is they have their Friends of Lafroy, which is uh, a little membership. You buy one of these scotches. I'm sure there's one in here. And they give you, yeah, there it is, a pamphlet. And you basically log on with the number and you get points, so to speak. So you need to make sure you do that if you haven't, because you've got you should have a shit ton of points by now. <laughs> but you do that, friends of Lafroy, type it in, get your points, um, and uh, there's your unique code. Like it's a legitimate thing, um, and and it's a big deal to them. Anything uh, you noticed about potential tours? Okay, so their tours. Uh, they have one that's called the extensive tour. However, for whatever reason, I can't pull up the information on the website for it. The only thing I could find out <laughs> about it is that it's two hours long and it is a uh, tour that involves uh, touring the distillery. They do have one that's called Day of Dreams, though. Uh, here, the Day of Dreams one, it starts off uh, with the distillery tour and then you actually pick up your like picnic basket and go down to the Kilbride water source. Yeah, the Kilbride uh, Dam. Yeah, and have uh, and have your lunch there. And when you come back, it concludes uh, with you going into Warehouse One, and you get a three hundred fifty milliliter bottle, so like a half bottle. Uh, they only allow anywhere from one to eight guests. It lasts about five hours, and it goes from March through October. Then there's one that's called Distiller Wares. Here you have a tour of the distillery. You get a samples of the casks. It lasts about 2.5 hours. Afterwards, <laughs> you get to extract your favorite whiskey from one of the casks and fill up your own bottle to take home as a souvenir. I'm assuming it's going to be at, three, seven, at that 350 milliliter size, but they don't say what size the hey, bottle is. I love midgets. And then the other one is called... Three casks, perfect setting. This is not a tour. It's just a pure tasting. And once again, after you're done tasting all three of the drams, you get to take your favorite and hand fill your bottle to take it home to drink later. Mm. Uh, all these are 18 and above. And uh, that's about what I got there. I love tours. hearing that because we've gotten so used to it. Uh, you got to be at least 18, kids. Sorry, you can't go in. Meanwhile, here in America, <laughs> you're not 21. Back out. <laughs> right? <laughs> All right. Well, without further ado, let's dip in to this scotch. Um, the canister is very much a Lafroy canister, which is great. I love it when they keep things very concise to them. As far as, you know, it's unmistakably 
Lafroy, the Cardias Friendship Scotch here. Their tin's great. I love the fact that they're still offering the canister. And I don't know why in the world I put this back in, but don't forget you got your Friends of Lafroy unique code to get your points. And the bottle, as well as the canister, very much a symbolic Lafroig bottle. Uh, the green glass, the white label, just the right amount of detail to me as far as verbiage on the bottle, front and back. As we get to the foil, and man, I think I remember this. I uh, feel like it's a plastic top. But the foil is fantastic. Great white foil, perforated prolifically, <laughs> tears easily. It is a white topper, white plastic topper that is, but at least, at least they're going the extra inch and uh, doing some little detail work on yeah. there as far as what is what as we twist to turn. Every Walrus loves a tight seal. It is a pressed cork insert. Man, the smell on this already bringing me home. I'm not even sure what I just said or what I said means, I should say. <laughs> Something about bringing you home. That's right. <laughs> That's pretty damn exciting. Oh, the nose on that. All right, well, I guess it's uh, time for our warp speed and tasting notes. Cheers. Cheers. The Freud uh, Cardias, or friend, is that what you said? Friendship or friend? friendship? Friendship. The friendship uh, scotch here. Uh, honestly, I think it's a, it's a nice... Uh, expression from Lefroig. It uh it I I think we've been spoiled here and I think you said it <laughs> right. Uh with the past few weeks with like uh the Glenfiddich Grand Crew, um Octomore. The Octomores. Uh this I, I think anything we really would have pulled unless we went like higher up the scale uh would have been a slight letdown. And that, and that's not to take anything away from this particular scotch because because I think it's a good scotch, uh, but maybe not in a quite the same orbit as those last two of like the Octomore and the uh, anthology from Ardbeg and the uh, <laughs> and the Grand Crew. So uh, I mean, those are some like heavy hitters there, like from what we've been having uh, to go to this Lafroig, which once again uh, still. Uh, a very good bottle, but maybe not quite in the same realm uh, as those three particular bottles. There, for this for this expression on the Lafroig, I, I I gave the presentation a four out of five. It probably, I mean, with them, they haven't done anything different or extravagant <laughs> with like their variations, at least from the ones that we've. Uh, have procured ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it has, but what I do like is that they're all really basically the same format of the green bottle, the white label, the white canister. I enjoy that. What would help it go to the next level is if they actually use a wooden topper and a real cork and not a press cork or 
Um, but because of that, it's going to get a four out of five because of the plastic topper and the press cork. The color. Mm. The color I put here as a nice brassy gold. Uh, it's not too dark, not too, I mean, it's a little bit more on the lighter side, maybe light to medium, but I put a brassy gold. I enjoyed the color. Didn't look like they had too many, like, particulates or things, like, uh, really floating around in there. So that was a 5 out of 5 still for me. Uh, the nose. Here I put, you get your typical Isla, peat, and oak, followed with hints of lemon, burnt orange peel, cinnamon, and leather earth tones, which actually is a great, uh, a great nose. Uh, and I gave that a 27 out of 30 points. Um, pretty respectable. The palette, this would probably would be the weakest spot here. Uh, on my palate, when I tasted it, it started off with like a like a nice uh, lemon custard with grilled peaches. And I'm talking about the grilled peaches. Like uh, I never really really had grilled peaches until I was in Georgia, Ugh. and uh, a couple of my buddies out there, uh, fraternity brothers, I was visiting visiting out there. Uh, they were grilling up peaches on their barbecuer, and those like that that kind of like burnt or grilled peach has a nice flavor to it. And so here it had like this lemon custard with a grilled peaches involved in there, followed by some dark chocolate and malt, which I really enjoyed. Uh, but once that malt and dark chocolate kind of dissipated, which wasn't very long, uh, it turned into cinnamon starting my finish. And that cinnamon, once that dissipated, then I got like some oak followed by a little bit more dark chocolate that that uh, faded away to the very, very end where you get a nice sea salt flavor. So it's almost like dark chocolate with sea salt, but the dark chocolate dissipates before the sea salt does, and it left me with a nice finish, which I really enjoyed. Um, so I gave the palette itself a 26 out of 30, and then, then the finish 27 out of 30. That gives me a grand total of 89 points. Uh, would I take this to a black tie affair? The answer to this is going to be no. Would I take it to a game night? Yes, I would. Do I think this one in particularly has a spot on my shelf? And here I struggle. That's interesting. I do too. Because if I'm going to put a Lafroig on my shelf, out of all the Lafroigs we tried, which was the 10 the select and the quarter cask. And now this one here, I would actually put the quarter cask on my shelf because I think that one had much better flavor to it than this particular one. And I would enjoy that one. I think a little bit more than this. Um, but I still think it, this is a, a good expression from the Freud. Although when I'm talking about an Isla scotch, I want something more Isla E, I guess, uh, from, uh, and I, I love scotch or or distillery. So that's why I think I would go more the quarter cast because that's going to be more like to what I expect from the typical uh, Isla um, flavor points, I guess, or uh, palate points. Yeah. Um, yeah. So honestly, 
I think depending on where you are, uh, you'll probably see this anywhere on your shelves from $99 to $109. I know at one point in time it was in our area for $99, uh, but then you got inflation, binomics, and so now it's $109. Uh, but I do think it's worth a try. All right. Well, for myself, I'm right there with you with presentation. It's a solid four out of five. It's not that the plastic topper takes away. It just doesn't add to it. That's what the whole point is, is that these points are based on what they did to achieve it. And if this is one of their higher expressions, uh, I expect more than what appears to be a placid plastic topper. Uh, but other than that, I love the fact that they go standard with their traditional white canister. Thank you for continuing to use canisters. I saw the other day, Brucolati, the classic laddie, wasn't in canisters at Davidson's Liquor. And I was like tempted to buy one until it didn't have a canister. The, the Tiffany, Tiffany Blue? Yeah. Oh, Bevy saw them in the uh, Tiffany I'll Blue. I'll probably go there and get one because I've been craving that after the Octomore. But with this, um, again, four out of five for the bottle. Really good, solid. Uh, the color for me, this is simple. It is light gold or that uh, late summer wheat you know it's drying out fall wheat uh where it's light but still has just the slightest hint of green life in it uh five out of five for color for me on the nose man it's interesting because it pops for me um cinnamon the slightest little hint of ginger and i figured out what the weird extra smell in there was to me it's green apple um, this little tiny hint of green, green apple followed by lemon peat. If you can imagine any of the strangest things, uh, lemony peat, uh, charred orange peel, and a young fire char, uh, kind of like a live bonfire, that smoke that's coming off of a live bonfire where the wood wasn't quite dry. For me, though... The nose is quite enjoyable. I give it a 28 out of 30. Uh, really thought that was fun. The palette. The palette has a surprisingly quick transition, but also great depth of flavor. Starts with me with cinnamon. Um mixed with honey so it's sweet but it you can tell there's cinnamon in there the cinnamon and the honey both fade away that sweetness is gone then i get a lemon citrus hazelnut um they're almost mixed together a little hint of hazelnut and lemon um ah, then comes out the tanny oak uh the tawny oak if you will but the tannins in oak um the dark chocolate which the dark chocolate's bitter and brings out a, a bitter caramel and then it finishes in the palette for smoke i gave the palette a 28 as well i really enjoyed even though it was super rapid in the transitions the fact that there were transitions and i got the different flavors at different times the finish i'm gonna go up this again Oh, mm. ah. the finish was the one, man, this could be something where the finish, I feel bad about the finish later, but it starts with a sweet lemony peach. So it's got that like bitter 
But you mentioned peach. It's got like a bitter peach flavor to me. Uh, I feel like someone literally took a peach and spritzed some lemon drops, uh, fresh lemon on top of it. But it's still got honey, so it's sweet, but it's sour and it's peachy all at the same time. Um, and that's smooth, but then it goes very quick to what ultimately becomes a very long lingering cinnamon which brings out a dry hint to me, um, and the earthy peat and the sea salt. Um, man, for me, the finish isn't bad. It just wasn't one of those things that added, like, uh, you know, a solid wood topper. For me, the finish was only a 25. Gave my total, though, a 90. Um, it's great. Now, here's the interesting point, is I think we have some things that are unequivocally uh, true, not a black tie scotch. No. Um, and it's interesting because my first drink, I was like, man, this is a man scotch. And that is not meant to be sexist at all. It's just literally like, this is bold, powerful. This is, oh, I just drank a, a Tropic Thunder beer and I'm going ape shit. Um, however, it's really changed as the finish and has come out and the transition of all of the flavors. And this isn't what I want personally to be known for. Um, so that's why it doesn't go to a black tie event. Would it go to a game night? Yeah, probably if I had one. I'm not going out of my way to buy the, this. Um, because much like yourself, I struggle to think this has a place on my shelf because I would rather put not even the quarter cask on the shelf, but the tenure. Like, I think the tenure is a solid Isla Port Ellen single malt scotch that's got all of those more traditional Isla flavors, scents, and qualities that I look for in an Isla scotch. Um, not a bad scotch. Actually, a great scotch. Just not something after we've been so spoiled. Uh, 151 weeks going with great scotches so ultimately 90 points which is crazy that a 90 point scotch wouldn't like i would go after other scotches on my shelf first it's not that i don't want it on my shelf don't get me wrong there if i've got all uh, unlimited funds and i can have every scotch on my shelf yeah it's there but if i'm making choices here and it's like oh you can choose any three lafroig this is not one of them it's odd because like i think <laughs> this is one of the higher scoring lafroigs for us yeah and I think that's because it is a great scotch. It's just not what we look for in Isla. Here's the thing. I think this this brings up a good point, though. Like when you said, like if you had, if you could only choose like three Lafroigs or whatever, or maybe two Lafroigs out of your like whatever. I think from one of the other distillery houses, I could find something to replace that one. Uh, whereas like the ten or maybe the quarter cask or. Uh, I, I really I wasn't like a huge fan of the selects, but uh, but uh, like of the ten or even like the quarter cast, I think those like those have a kind of like a, a spot possibly like on the shelf, whereas this one like yeah it's like a little it's a higher end Isla for them or from like at least like these other four, but when I look at like Oban or I look at uh, Lagavulin um, or even uh, Bruclade right that's uh, uh -huh. I I think I can. Like in that price range for like a hundred and, and over, I think hundred and ten and yeah, over, hundred and ten and over. I can find a better one that I would rather drink more, and that's why and that's why it falls off the off the shelf. It, it is. It, it's uh, 
or a conundrum, if you will, because I agree with you. It's it's to me, it is a great scotch, but it is not Isla. It is not Lafroig. It's not what I associate with that greatness. And it's interesting here because there might be less, and it's not that any of these distilleries are <laughs> listening to us um, yet, anyway. Um, but where are they possibly losing the future market share value? All of those things. Um, it's absolutely again a great scotch. But to that point, man, if I'm having a friend over and I've got a thousand dollars and I'm going to buy five to ten bottles of scotch, this is not one of them. Even if they all have to be from Isla. And to your point, when Oban does something, uh, their ten-year limited release or something, I still feel like. At the end of the day, there are those certain characteristics, uh, the brine, which are unmistakable in that. And there's something that is very mistakable about this for Lafroig to me. And I could just be that I don't know well enough because um, it's great. But, it's it, you know, that could also be another thing. Too smooth. Could be. <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it. It's gotten an 89 for me and 90 from Jesse. Uh, we both think it's a, a great a, scotch, a great scotch, but for some reason, <laughs> no black tie, <laughs> no black tie. And we can't find a spot on our shelf for it, Yeah, <laughs> but try it anyways. Yeah. Again, it is, it's a conundrum. It's worth even of trying. Dude, it is ridiculous though. Cause we are, if you look at the last few weeks, we're literally comparing it to scotches twice its value, four times, not value twice its price, four times its price. Um, and so that does, like, there may be a day we come back to it and we're like, yeah, well, maybe. Maybe you were too harsh on it. But the, at the end of the day, men want, or I shouldn't say men, I want, I assume you want, and we either want one of two things out of scotch, something we identify as, for me, that's a man, or something that's sexy as hell. And this is, like, in, in the mid. It's in the mid-range. It's great, but... you. Just fill one cup or the other. I don't want two half full cups. <laughs> I think that's a good, a great analogy because it does. It, it, it like I think uh, who, who is it? Um, the, uh, the Mr. Miyagi. You walk. Uh, you walk on right side of the road. Okay. You walk on left side of the road. Okay. You walk in middle of the road. Squish like grape. <laughs> no, and that's literally. I love that. Um, I, I wasn't even thinking about that until right now, and I love that because I think that's this. Yeah. Like I think they should have gone one way or the other, and it is a delicious scotch. Don't get me wrong. It's just I not <laughs> not what I'm looking for at any point. It's it's. Man, what like I feel guilty about saying it's not black tie worthy and it's not on my shelf worthy when I give it a ninety and I believe it's a ninety, but at the end of the day, well, that's why I told you like with my score, like I feel like it's <laughs> not right. It's just weird, and I'm trying like I'm literally struggling to find like a good example to me. But at the end of the day, that's just it. Like they they've covered too many boats and not the, the, there's. Four different directions, north, south, east, and west, and they it's went a, halfway on two, but like. like <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so try it anyways. <laughs> you won't be disappointed. You may just not have a spot on your shelf or be worth taking to a black diamond for $110. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> It's time for our shout-outs. 
my shout out goes to Aiden and his uh, Cherokee Trail Junior Varsity Basketball Team taking the championship in a winning style. And when I say that, I mean just good ball playing. Um, I, you know, gosh, I hope his coach never watches. I don't know that I love his coach, but his coach got it done. At the end of the day, it's not about making friends with parents or fans or anyone else. It's about getting it done. And the coach did that. And so uh, actually, cheers to you, coach. Uh, no matter what, it doesn't matter if I like your style. You got it done. I couldn't do it. All right. Does it, does that, That's my only okay. get to get or a shout out. <laughs> All right. I have uh, two shout outs, but they kind of like intertwine together. So the first one's going to go to Tucker Carlson. Oh, my God. For going out to Russia and interviewing Putin. <laughs> and this ties I in. I love that. This ties in with my other shout out going to Elon Musk, who says that he was not going to censor that interview, which he didn't. Uh, so it was, uh, it was put up on X, formerly known as Twitter, and it got like – huge amount of views and it dwarfed like any of like the ratings that you would have seen from any of the other like news shows. So I just want to give them a shout out for, for one, regardless of what you think about Tucker or Putin, um, it's good to know your enemy, so to speak. Right. And for saying like, if our government is saying like, uh, the Russians or even the Chinese are our enemy, it's good to kind of hear from them, have them be interviewed and, and allow us uh, to see the information from both sides. And then as free thinking, free independent people, this allows us, hopefully we have critical thinking skills, allows us to look at what they're saying versus what our government is saying, because I do believe the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Oh, I mean, with what we have seen as far as probably leans more towards Russia right now, but media. Yeah. Russia's, <laughs> with what we've seen with our media and it's interesting because i think you bring up a good point though which is it's good to know the enemy and it's not about any it's not don't overcomplicate that what are their goals what's their mission what's driving them understand that and the basis and not whether or not you haphazardly emotionally think they're doing right or wrong Exactly. Because you may find out, hey, you know, this person I'm after killed my wife and my children and my parents, and I just want to take them to prison and make them do some time. Um, everyone thinks I'm out to kill people for no reason. And, and that's just it. Our media has literally been hiding whichever half of the reason they want. And so I don't trust our media at all. Literally, I don't. I, I think it's a different generational thing. Um, of which I should tell you some a story about a little old lady at my store today, which was hilarious, but I can't say it on the air because I was at work and I was just laughing <laughs> in joy. And everyone around me is like, is Jesse losing his mind? And I'm like, no, I just love little old ladies who love Trump. <laughs> <laughs> All right, as for my get-together, I'm going to go play a little bit off of what uh, you said about your son winning the uh, the championship game. Uh, when you told me, when you and Aiden told me that, that they won, I was surprised that there was like no oh, reward agree. for them after winning the championship. 
not a trophy, not a dinner. Not, like it sounded like from what my understanding was, like they there was like really no recognition for winning other than like a pat in the back saying, Good job, guys, you won won the championship. And really I think it doesn't matter what level it is, it doesn't matter if they're freshman, sophomore, J V or varsity, or like uh like uh like eight year old like little league type of basketball. If you win a championship the winner should come away with some kind of reward at the end of it all. You know, whereas like the person who comes in second, they're the first loser and everyone else, they lost too. They don't really like, that's part of like, uh, the whole sporting world is that if you lose, you don't get a participation. Trophy. There's no such thing as participation trophies or they shouldn't be any, but there should be a trophy or something for the winners. Yeah, I agree with you. That's my get together as well, which is uh Oh, did I steal it from you? No, you're all good. No, because my like you know me, my shout outs and my get togethers are usually so closely intertwined anymore. It was absurd to me. Um and again, like I said, like I don't I'm not saying I, I loved his coach, but I wanted to see that coach get some recognition in front of everyone. And I, I hope maybe they still will, both of the kids and the coach, because it doesn't matter whether or not we love the way you lead or play the game or anything else. At the end of the day, you win, you played by the rules, you got it done. Um and it, like I agree with you. Like Or you cheat and don't get caught. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we won't mention any names, but um, it's just so funny to me. Not funny. It's actually sad to me that we've gotten to that point where I'll bet there are other schools who didn't win the championship and played against them, and they all got lunches and dinners and coach recognition and all sorts of things. And that, um, man, that doesn't draw... Like, what happened to celebrating victory and making these people know they accomplished something? And maybe there's some underlying reason that there's some weird W agenda for that I don't recognize. Um, but, man, let a champion be a champion, even if it's for a day. This week's restaurant review, Wild Basil. And we're talking basically right off there at County Line and Holly in Centennial. Neither Noah or I realized Centennial went that far southwest. But <laughs> Centennial is apparently bigger than we thought. So this is, a, uh, what you call it, Asian or or. Yeah, I say Asian. Asian, kind of like a mix. Uh, an Asian restaurant that had uh, lots of offerings, um, including some sushi, which I did not venture into here, just because when I looked around, I'm like, and are those the fish in the fish tank that we're <laughs> going to be eating? No, thanks. The water's cloudy, but nonetheless, <laughs> um, I thought it was pretty good. You want to go over your dinner first? Sure. I'll go over my dinner first. Uh, first of all, uh, when we arrived there, we were not going to that particular <laughs> restaurant. Uh, I would have dressed up. <laughs> <laughs> we were actually going to a place called Big Bill's New York Pizzeria, I think is what it's called or something like that. But because it was Super Bowl Sunday when we went, uh, and it was closed down. Or it was closing down and they had no, no availability for dining. 
which was kind of a bummer. So I, I just, I saw that there was an Asian restaurant next door. I'm like, let's just go there. Cause, <laughs> Cause like, I didn't know what else to do. Cause my plan fell apart. So, uh, we had to make a quick pick, quick pivot. And so we went to this wild basil. Um, the outside, I would say like the parking lot area, that type of stuff. Uh, I don't think it was like the best parking lot, <laughs> dude. And it was still light out when we were I'm there. Right there with you. It was that still was light. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, was, I'm like, what the fuck is it with parking lots and restaurants lately? Right. So uh, it was still well lit because it was still daylight out uh, when we got there. But uh, I, I, I would venture to guess it was going to be a dark parking lot because I didn't see a whole lot of lights there. Uh, so. I'm not going to say it's the best place at nighttime to probably park. Um, now, when you walk in, I wasn't super impressed with the place either. <laughs> the place looked kind of dumpy on the inside, <laughs> to tell you the truth. Uh, it looked like old like uh, bench-type uh, tables in there. They had, like a, I think, like a sit-down bar area, but I think one of their sons was sitting there doing homework, and then they got like another son, like, like uh like even a younger son like laying across like i don't know like a bench near the wall uh playing video games maybe uh they have one tv in there that was showing the super bowl but i think they're streaming it and their internet wasn't good or something they didn't didn't get a good signal because it was like pausing every few seconds uh but the people were extremely nice um, the son was really nice. Uh, I think the mom was really nice. I think she kind of like briefly spoke to us up front. Or, Hi! Like, <laughs> or was it the dad? Maybe it was the dad. But in any case, uh, they seem like pretty nice people. Maybe it was another son too. I'm not really sure <laughs> that that actually was our waiter. Um, but I think for the most part, they were they were nice, uh, fairly kind. Uh, I ended up uh, I ended up getting the. Uh, Sesh, uh, sriracha beef with fried rice. Now, if you go to this place, they charge a dollar extra for fried rice. Don't do it. <laughs> That's going to be my first recommendation. Don't do it. The extra dollar they pay for fried rice really just makes it look like they just pour a little bit of soy sauce and give you like a sliver of an egg and call it a fried rice. Uh, so don't, don't do, just go with the regular white rice or just go with the regular brown rice but skip on paying the extra dollar for fried rice because you're not going to get, like, the peas or the carrots or, like I said, you get, like, maybe a, a piece of uh, egg in there, but that, that's about it. So the dollar I've charged for the fried rice isn't really worth it. Now, beyond that point, though, actually the, the, uh, the uh, sriracha beef was really good. And when I mixed it with my rice, it was really good. I really, I really did enjoy my meal. And I think the meal itself was, I, I give it like a nine. The, uh, the atmosphere, uh, that's more like a five. The outside is like a five. Uh, as far as them, like, oh, another thing that they gave us, we didn't order, I think it was part of our meal too, was this pineapple boat dessert thing, which was really awesome. <laughs> that had like uh, this... Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Essence of pear or something like that that they put on there with powdered plum sugar. Plum extract. Oh, plum extract. Okay, sorry. Plum extract with like powdered sugar on there. Fucking phenomenal. It was great. 
and, and I guess that was like part of your meal. So I'm like that. That was like a total win right there. So yeah, the meal itself is like a, definitely a nine. The service, uh, actually, I like the service. I think I thought the kid did a great job, so I give that a nine. Uh, but like I said, the the decor or the atmosphere inside, and maybe it is because it, it was Super Bowl Sunday. I'm not really sure, but that was like a five to me. Uh, really, the yeah, I don't know. It just I felt like I don't know. It was terrible inside. <laughs> really, really. I mean, but here, here's the thing: they're small business owners, and they're they're running a restaurant, so they're living their dream. And I am not knocking them for that because uh, actually their food was great and their service was great. So uh, definitely worth the visit, even though like I probably would have preferred something uh, much more new and shiny as far as like my restaurants go, uh, you know, but it's, it wasn't sexy, but it got the job done. Um, would, I, would I take a date there? <laughs> oh. It's one of those nights where it's like, God damn. <laughs> I don't know if I would take a date there because here's the thing. Like, I think the food is worthy enough for a date, but I'm not really sure the inside is, is worthy of date, the service worthy of date. So I would say I lean towards taking a date there, but I'm unsure. Uh, would I meet a friend there? Hell yes. I'd meet a friend there. Um, Overall, even though in the food value, I thought it was good. So overall, I'm going to give it like a, an eight, even though the uh, inside decor uh, slash atmosphere, I'm giving like that part kind of a. Your math isn't math. I don't know my math isn't math. And here's why my math isn't Dude, math. Dude, this is no different than the scotch. The reason why math isn't math is because the atmosphere itself, I'm giving it, I'm giving it, I'm tossing it out because. I, I just don't know is if is nobody there because it was Super Bowl Sunday. The actual decor inside it, that is literally a five, and the outside, the parking lot here, that is literally a five. But like everything, like as far as like the service, possibly the atmosphere and the food, those are all pretty high on my on my, on my scale. So that's why I'm going to give it an eight. <laughs> with, like, with I'm the, rounding way up. <laughs> I am rounding way up on the, on the benefit of the doubt. That because it's Super Bowl Sunday, the atmosphere would have been better in there. Which I'm not really sure that's the I case. Think it can only get worse. <laughs> more people, more noise, less service. I'm going to give it an eight, and I'm I'm, gonna, I'm not comfortable giving it an eight. Just like I wasn't comfortable giving this an 89, the the Freud. Uh But that's what I'm doing. And yeah, I don't know, man. Like I'm at a loss. Maybe like my math is not mathing tonight. Nothing was. Nothing's working here. All right. Well, for myself. Oh, not a destination spot. Either. Yeah. <laughs> <Had> no doubt. <laughs> Wild Basil in Centennial. Okay, for me, as you mentioned, I wasn't even driving, and I'm like, this is not good. Like, this is rough to get in. This is rough to get out. Um, traffic potential hazard. Um, not fun. Environment outside, not clean. Not... That's not all their well fault. Planned. No, it's not all their fault, but it absolutely is something um, that does play a role in, man. You're trying to go meet a friend or make a date. Like, I'm not going there if I have 30 minutes for lunch. I'm, it's going to take me 30 <laughs> minutes to get in now the parking lot. Right. Um, and that's kind of the tragedy. So environment, the exterior environment, five. I agree with you 100% right there. Atmosphere inside, slightly better, a six. Um, in the sense of it was... Oh, 
they're, I think you're right. I think they're living their dream, or at least they're trying to. They're, they are going after uh, a dream, living a goal, um, but still not sexy. A six, right there with you also with service. For me, the service was a nine. They were Johnny on the spot. Um, did a great job. Now, where it gets crazy is you were like, maybe it could have been better because it was the Super Bowl. I'm like, this only gets worse. <laughs> like, this service being a nine, like, what is it like if they're crowded? Everyone's like these people just sitting around, no one else really doing anything. One gentleman was doing something as far as hostessing and serving, and another gentleman was cooking. And then you said the mom, I think you're right, was just walking around here and there from time to time. Now, we're this place one and this is where it's hard uh, because right there with you i'm not taking a date there maybe takeout the food was a 10. my sesame chicken was the best sesame chicken i have had since 1992 when we were in high school going to smoky hill high school uh and uh, we were going to egg roll king east to enjoy fantastic chinese i think theirs has gotten worse over time where my expectations have gotten higher but this was a 10 out of 10 for sesame chicken phenomenal um because of the service and the food the value ultimately is an eight to me and again this is where it gets weird how do you go from a nine with service a 10 with food and in a value of eight and then say i'm not taking a date there <laughs> That's why I'm like, I don't know. That's how important atmosphere and environment are, though. It's uh, it's interesting because um, I, I think it's just honest. It's real. And that's the struggle is I would any day, if I want great Chinese and a friend wants great Chinese, I wouldn't hesitate to go there. I actually want to go back there and, and put them to the test and see if their Mongolian village can stand up to Cherry Village. Because I think you that would... Mongolian beef? Yeah, the Mongolian beef would stand up to Cherry Village because that would tell me everything. And if it did, then they would have the best of both worlds. Um, and then I would have a new favorite Chinese restaurant. The thing is, Cherry Village has a great environment a good atmosphere and still delivers on the others. Um, and that's why, like, as far as Chinese restaurants for me right now, Cherry Village is my destination. Like, it's the one place I'll go out of my way to go. Um, I agree with Cherry Village. Yeah, it's just, it's great. Um, at the end of the day, yes, meet a friend there. No, not take a date there. However, I would recommend takeout from there with a date. Um, a destination, absolutely not. Total 7.6. <laughs> Which <laughs> you're giving me hard time and it only get worse. No, I, I was just laughing because I'm like, dude, your math isn't math. Because <laughs> you're like five, five, <laughs> and I'm like five plus five divided by two, eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's because the other ones are like so high. Dude, I I'm right there with you. It's it's a struggle, <laughs> and that's why like, I literally do the math and I come up with a seven point six because it's no different than I this know, scotch. What did we start doing? Half like partial points. Oh, I started doing that like two months ago. <laughs> oh well, maybe I should start doing those partial <laughs> points. It's just for me. Like it, it's it's my thing um, because I wanted to give more consistent scores and really think like what really matters. But at the end of the day, you know what really matters? I wouldn't take a date there. But I would meet a friend there for great freaking food. <laughs> and that's almost twisted, too. Smarter <laughs> challenge this week is uh, the B-17 Bomber and the TV series The Master of Air. 
So, um, just some uh, quick, uh, some quick stuff here about the B seventeen bomber. Is that it was called the? It's the Boeing. It's from Boeing, so I guess that's what the B might stand for. Uh, B seventeen by Boeing. Uh, its model number was originally uh, two ninety nine, I believe. Uh, it, it, Boeing created this as part of a a competition that the uh, Army Air Force was doing um, because they're looking for, I guess, like a new bomber. And so uh, this was uh, basically uh, from the information that I, I uh, got from uh, aviationhistory.com is that this was Boeing's make it or break it. Because in this competition, if Boeing did not produce and they did not get the contract for the B-17s, there would be no Boeing today. So this was a, a make it or break it situation for them. And they actually, like, uh, from my understanding at first, they didn't quite win the contract, but it, they did a good enough job to where the uh, the Air Force or the Army Aviation actually did come back and actually order some of these B-17 uh, uh, Flying Fortresses. Um, uh, and they were, they originally got, like, I believe it was like 20 of them that went over to uh the royal air force as the fortress one is what they were called uh these uh, b-17s had a range of about 1020 miles their average speed was somewhere between 200 and 250 uh, miles per hour and the bomb load capacity was over 2,000 pounds and this was uh one of the uh, main daylight bombers that they had uh, during World War II uh, that they dropped on uh, in the European uh, theater as well as they did use this as uh, the uh, in the Asian theater as well against Japan, I believe, uh, Doolittle's uh, Marauders. Is that, is that what they're called? I think it was Doolittle. Uh, I think they used these uh, B-17s as well to fly off the carriers to drop the, the bombs there as well. Um, anything else you want to add about these uh, B-17s? Uh, I mean, so that was just a quick, quick rundown, though. As you're talking about the B-17, you're talking about the Model 299. Yep. Um, so one thing is, it's interesting because the military spec that you mentioned, the range, the estimated range was 1,000, basically 1,000 miles. That ain't squat, first of all. But you got to understand, too, I think part of it could have been even back then the uh, abuse or intentional use of limited knowledge as far as how far a plane could or could not go. Because on the get-go in 1935, one of their models uh, made it 2,100 miles on a nonstop flight from Seattle to Wright Field in nine hours. So to think about it in that aspect, these were not fast planes. No. Um, so even if they're going 200 miles per hour, that's probably not their average speed, by the way, because the faster you go, the more fuel you're burning. So say it's 150. Uh, man, they had some uh, insane pieces there as far as um, the reality of how far this plane could or could not go. But the other piece of there of that is also that that uh, cargo load. And you, I think that's the biggest difference is the one that made it 2,100 miles was undoubtedly stripped down didn't have gun turrets and other pods upon it didn't wasn't carrying hundreds of pounds of bombs and 200 pounds of bombs that's nothing 
Was it 200? I thought it was 2,000. 2,000 pounds of bombs. Yeah, Still, yeah. nothing when you're talking about a plane uh, that weighs so much. Um, like the fuel on the plane weighed more than that when it was fully fueled up. It's, it's kind of um, amazing to think about some of these things. But the Flying Fortress, um, you know, amazing planes. Uh, you know, I, I think that's the, the real key point is... This was a, a plane that you look at, it didn't look like much, especially compared to modern aviation, but damn, it got the job done. Yeah, it did. And I think uh, once I got to the uh, European theater, I think that was the B-17E uh, version, whereas I think the original one I, uh, that I was mentioning there was uh, the B-17A. <clears throat> also... Um, Famous missions that the B-17 participated in uh, included the bombing of the German aircraft factories of, at Regensburg and uh, Schweinsfurt, as well as the infamous raids on Tokyo by General Jimmy Doolittle. So yes, that was it. Was I, I was on point on that one. So, uh, so that, I think that's actually kind of cool because like the the B-17s that uh, Doolittle used, they had to strip those suckers all the way down. Uh, and I mean, like if you watch that movie Pearl Harbor, they kind of show it a little bit in that in that movie. But like they stripped it like way down. They had like broomsticks as like posing as like machine gunnery in there and stuff like that. Uh, so that way they could take off on an aircraft carrier, which is totally insane in the first place. Uh, and I only think they really had like the catapult thing really helping them out. No, they couldn't. Those those planes weren't made for that. Right. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, that was. I think that's kind of that's kind of cool. There, uh, these uh, these B 17s were also powered by four Pratt and Whitney R sixteen ninety Hornet engines. Uh, so that that was the uh, the engines that they used on these uh, particular planes. So, could you imagine like being in one of these these big behemoth? Uh, planes well the first thing you gotta remember is your b17e they literally the, the big ass i think it's big really, ass yeah <laughs> <laughs> um a big plane not sexy and when you talked about it being stripped down i think this is where i actually really i admire it is because it reminds me of a ferrari f40 we're talking in the 80s the ferrari f40 had roll down windows because the motor for powered windows weighed too much it had no air conditioning no radio it's like this is this plane right you got rid of all the extra junk just to get a job done um and i think it poses an interesting question to the very title of this show which is masters of air yeah so with that uh man uh, uh yeah in war i would absolutely go to all these extents and i love that so here here's a you bring up master of air which is great because uh, that's also part of the smart challenge here is to watch uh apple tv's uh masters of air which happens to be about the bloody 100th uh which is a 100 uh bomb group and it's about the original bomb group that was there uh that uh, that came over from i think they started off in texas uh but uh, really uh, it really picks up like they're leaving the the u.s going to greenland uh and then getting uh to england and off to the very first 
bombing run going into Bremen is like basically like that first episode. Uh, and then that, uh, that mission gets scrubbed because it was, uh, too cloudy. And, um, you get to like know some of these characters, which like the, like these characters in this show are actually based upon the real pilots that flew, uh, that flew, uh, in the bloody 100. Um, I guess to begin with, like, when you see the B-17s in this show, along with the Bloody 100, like, what was your first impression? It's interesting. Because at first when I'm watching this show, I'm like, okay, let me look at all these young men. Let me look at all these young masters of air. And I was like, man, these are kids. These are all kids from a generation um, that has dealt with things we never had to. Most of them probably either had direct uh, relatives who went through the Great Depression or other things. And I'm seeing people where it all makes sense to me. And they are literally just say, I may or may not make it home after this next flight. If I actually make it to 25 flights, I get a chance to go home and hang up my hat. And now think about this. You just got to accomplish 25 flights to get a pass to go home. That's telling you how few people made it 25 flights. Um, That's the equivalent of you're driving to work for 25 days in a row and you make it home. You're a month for most of us. These people, these young men were doing that, praying that they made it home. And the, the difference piece is, though, most of them aren't praying they're like, this is life. Like, we always knew this could be a situation. It wasn't a surprise. It was the uh, uh, a vast contrast to Vietnam where there was a draft and all of a sudden people were afraid. And then we get to the modern days and all of a sudden we can't even fathom having to fight for our freedoms. Instead, we want to give it to just anyone. And it's like, hold on a minute. Where did we get lost? It's a struggle. Um, But so what I really did think, though, was this is a generation that most people today will never appreciate this TV show. And I think the TV show is based in reality and in a genuine artistic portrayal of that reality in that, man, life was different. And if you don't have an EQ and an IQ, you will never get anything from this TV show. And because of that, I think modern Americans (laughs) are not going to appreciate it. Oh, man. I love your analysis because <laughs> uh, I, I agree with you. I'm not really sure if most smart Americans will get a lot out of it um, when there is a lot to really take away from it. Um, just to clarify on one of my talking points here, uh, the Army Air Base headquarters for the original 100th is actually Kearney, Nebraska. So that's where they started off at. So. Freaking amazing, by the way, like one of the hubs for our foundation in America, as far as where we get food from to keep this country going. Right. Uh, It is real. And I think one of the real things here that you talk about here that you mentioned was about how very few people made the 25 uh, bombing runs. And there is a there is a a scene where the colonel and I'm not sure who the other person was talking to the colonel. I think it might have been like the flight. Uh, flight commander 
I think that's what it was or something like that, is talking to the colonel. He's like, what happens if, if this crew doesn't come back on their 25th run? And uh, the uh, colonel's like, either this is going to be the greatest party ever or like the greatest wake ever or something like that. Something, something. Yeah, no, I, I, I got probably got the quote incorrect, but it, it's something no, along those lines. It's literally along those lines. This is either going to be the greatest party ever or the greatest wake ever. Yeah, and uh, and then later on, I think in that same episode, uh, they get some replacements that come in who have never like flown a route, and uh, one of the uh, guys, his name is Pappy, uh, or that's his nickname. Uh, he goes. This is a bad omen for celebrating one one group that's only flown twenty five runs. One man, yeah, one, uh, yeah, one man. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "This, I think this is a bad omen." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and first of all, what I appreciated about that is what I think you can relate that to in modern America is how many people do you know that have been at a job twenty five years. Not many. No. I think the average is five years. Yeah. So 25 flights, 25 years now, obviously those are different timely wise, but whatever that piece may be, I think that it is something where realities are completely distorted by based on expectations. I want this. I want that. Back then, man, this was one way for them to get away from home, to go be a grown-up, um, I want to say man, but that's only because most of the characters in the movie were male. There were females, and they wanted nothing different either. Um, it's interesting. But it's absolutely true, which is back then, the stakes were higher. Oh, yeah, way higher. <laughs> and and I, I, for me, I watched four episodes, and... This is why I say I don't think most Americans will get out of a, a ton out of it. I did. And it makes me sad to think, not that most Americans can't. I just don't think they want will. I don't think that they will put themselves in a position to even try to wear the shoes of someone 80 years ago. You make a good point there. And honestly, I think part of this, like, this series here in those four episodes, because I think there's only four out right now, is that seeing what those guys flew through, like, how do you explain that to somebody? Well, yeah, you don't, but the best you can do is this video, this movie, this TV show, and that is the reality of it, is there are different types of people. And you saw the ones who had the first sight of blood and freaked out and the other ones who were seeing planes go down and people dying and they're like, hey, keep focused. Do not do not put the landing <laughs> gear down yet. We're 100 feet. Not yet. <laughs> right. I mean, like some of these planes, and this is like another question. I think I, I, I was talking to you the other night. I'm like, how do they patch up these planes quick enough for these guys to fly out again? Because these things were being, being shot up. To, to total hell like they had like wings that were like barely hanging on anymore uh parts flying off because and like huge huge ass holes being shot through them from all the flak and uh and the uh luftwaffe shooting uh missiles or uh their uh, their bullets at them uh it was incredible seeing like what they what they went through and they, and and he, the 
And I, I think it becomes a, a true reality too, because you see them talk about it. And even in the old movie uh, Memphis Bell, I think it was, where they started counting like how many planes keep coming back from each mission, right? They like they see so many take off, and then as they start coming back in, they start counting them, and they're like, and you hear it every time, like we had three come back from like mechanical failures. And 11 others missing and stuff like that. Or, or forget, you know, they, they keep in count. And I think from, like, the original, there's, like, maybe, like, less than a third that was left. Oh. From the original crew. At best. Or crews, I should say. It, it's interesting. So you ask about the repair piece. And yeah. the, the closest thing I can relate this to, because when you said that while we were watching the show, I actually, it's stuck. And... Did you do some research on it? Because I did. I didn't have to. Okay. Um, but I think I have the answer. They use like a pellet gun and just like freaking patch it all? Partially, yes. And you know why it was possible? Or is not pellet gun. What is it? Like rivet guns. So basically, um, but here's the biggest difference. 80 years ago, things weren't as complicated. We didn't have 5,000 sensors telling of us if the left wing rudder <laughs> flap was getting hot or cold or freezing or stuck or anything we had basic parts and the same thing was true with these had this plane had a uh, aluminum monocoque basically frame structure um, that was made to be as light as possible but is also flexible and strong as possible um, with that the body components were very simple and 20 years ago i read a study by chevy and i don't know that they're still doing this today because they've got some really advanced new Corvettes. Um, but 20 years ago, Corvette did some great things and they have on and off throughout their history. But one of their victories came through and they're like, how did you make this car so much more successful in the prospect of Le Mans or racing or any other thing? And they actually said by removing as many parts as possible they made it as simple as possible so there were fewer things to go wrong and you think about the modern boeing airplanes every other one that takes off is missing 40 bolts that a passenger can see from their window and it never takes off um versus the planes back then they were very simple and yes they were probably literally uh quickly welding repair patches of steel cutting off patches of steel or aluminum um and welding on new ones and painting it quick it wasn't as complicated as it is now um and and that really brings in my ultimate question for you about the end of this and this is not for you to answer now at the end of the show who are the masters of air was it the planes or was it the pilots? And I think really part of this show is to point out maybe part of the mastering of the air was the planes. Or the mechanics. Or Boeing. Or Boeing. <laughs> who's currently <laughs> failing because they're trying to meet all these specific needs. Uh, I think before I, I jump into that question. Right. No, let's save that for the end. Um, as I mentioned before, this, the 100th bomb squadron uh, or bomb group yes. is called the Bloody 100 because Bloody. they had uh, at least 450 replacements over the 22 months of its operational status in the, uh, in the uh, uh, European theater. Uh, which, I mean, if you consider it like uh, Bu uh, Bucky 
is talking to Buck in that episode four, I believe, uh, has mentioned that why even get to know these replacements because they don't know who we are. And if we go down tomorrow, which I think that is like a bad omen in itself, uh, because the next flight out that Buck had, he went down, um, that these guys wouldn't even remember who, who, who they are. Um, and I, and I, I think when you look at this, like they talk, you, you see these guys getting blown up. And I think there's one, 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 I think it was in episode three when they're, I think, I'm not sure where they're bombing, but in episode three, uh, one of the planes is going down and one of the guys is stuck in one of those pods, like the underneath uh, gunnery pod. Mm-hmm. And the radio guy uh, was trying to get him out. And it got to a point where it was like, basically you either dive this guy in this pod because you can't get him out or you have to live with the fact that you escaped and let this guy die. And I, I was talking to my mom about this. I'm like, you know, I don't think that guy was wrong in what he did, but you would sure feel shitty about it. I mean, because you, you want to, like, you know this guy. He's your friend, and you want to you get him out. But at the same time, if you, if you can't get him out, you got to live also to fight another day, too. Yeah. And, but it, it's something you have to carry with you. And I think no one could really know what they would truly do unless they're in that position. But I'm pretty sure I probably would have done the same thing that that guy did. Where I would fly, I try as much as I could, but when I knew, like, once you hit that that point of no return, then you have to, like, jump. Two things there. I think he was weak. He, I don't fault him for what he ultimately did, but I don't think he actually tried. Like, find the damn anything to try to pry that thing, anything. Do it, because that's what I would do. Until the point where I'm like, now I don't trust that I can get out without dying. Uh, I'm out. But when he was just sitting there looking at him, that's where I think he failed. I think he froze. And I think he failed. I think you'll see it later in the series when he freezes in the train. I don't know if he freezes because he like bolted. (laughs) I got so many words I can't say right now. (laughs) But yeah, I guess like I I see what you mean by freeze. Like. You're not wrong by saying by he said his his mental agility or his mental capacity. He's not a fighter. No. And here's the tragedy: no different than our own military letting in people without GEDs or high school diplomas right now. What are you inviting in? Right. <clears throat> um, I'm not sure if there's anywhere else you want to go with this, but I, I do. Like, I guess my last piece here is I, I think it's. I think it'll be interesting to see where this Masters of Air program goes because it's obviously following the original, so far it's following the original crews of the 100. And a lot of these guys are going to end up going into like POW camps and stuff like that. So I like to see how this is going to progress, how much it's going to follow them being in the the POW camps versus like how much of it's going to focus on the bombing group still doing their bombing runs. Um, but I, I think it's great to see these types of shows like this or band of brothers or the Pacific that kind of bring in some of the ties of these, like, uh, these military groups or divisions or whatever, 
uh, of what they went through during these World War Twos to kind of give us a better aspect of of the greatest generation, what these guys lived through, uh, and try to put ourselves in their shoes and see, do we have the same fortitude uh, or the same courage that some of these guys went through at those young that at that young age, like some of them are you know eighteen years old, they're they're seeing stuff that many of us have never seen, and I think another another aspect of like of what they go through and how they can't talk about it is that Bucky uh, he got there before the rest of the crew got there, and he went on a couple of missions, but never told anybody what he saw or what what he went through. And then his best friend, Buck, after his first mission, comes back and goes, why didn't you tell me? He's like, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, what do I tell you? Yeah. <laughs> like, you can't really tell them anything because... <laughs> you got a 20% chance of making it a, a week? <laughs> yeah. And, and then, like, the new people, like, the, like uh, this also goes to, like, uh, that last episode, episode four, one of the new uh, replacement pilots, like, do you have any tips for us? And I think at this point, after being through like 20 or 21 runs that these like Bucky and Buck went through, at, maybe you get kind of cynical. And one of them is like, just survive. Which is real, totally real, right? Like, well, what other kind of advice answer. can you give? Yeah. What other kind of advice can you give a guy like that? And I'm sure that guy's like, these guys are a couple of assholes. But I, and I think after he goes through his first run, I, you see it in his face. He's like, what the hell did I just live through? Well, it's real. And the truth of the matter is, as you mentioned, he's like, why didn't you tell me about this? We don't want to know. Civilians don't want to know what they really see. And it's ignorance. And no one wants to say this. But at the end of the day, a few good men, the truth of the matter is Jack Nicholson was wrong with what he did. But he was not wrong with you can't handle the truth. This was all true, just not for his opponent in that day because he didn't realize Tom Cruise in the movie wasn't a civilian and had seen a different form of battle. Um, but, you know, I, I think about it and... Uh, you know, I'm going to share one little personal bit real quick, or as quick as I can. The uh, most impactful funeral I've ever been to was that of my ex-father-in-law's, uh, Stan Emily's father, Harry Emily, as well, and um, military, not far from here, off of Arapahoe Road, um, National Guard, and it, it was impactful. And it was impactful on every level in the sense of tradition, what it meant to be someone who stands up for their country, who fought for their country. It doesn't matter if it's the uh, Coast Guard, National Guard, Air Force, Marines, Army, any one of these people who put their lives on a line you don't have to be flying a flying fortress being guarded by a p-51 um to ultimately beat the german army to get there uh you're doing this <clears throat> and serving your country it, it it's a different level and nowadays <clears throat> i think it's tragic you know this is one of my best friends 
uh, Stan Emily, I miss you to this day. His dad, and he, therefore he experienced this as his son. That's real. These are people who are heroes. Um, this show, you know, we watched is entertainment. It's not entertainment to me. These are heroes to me. This is history to me, even if it's loosely based. These are people who fought for our, not our country. You want to talk about anyone's rights, people illegally immigrating to America. There might not be in America if we didn't have people who fought to keep the war off our soil during World War II, during any of these wars. And it's so... It hurts me to think so many Americans are so naive to not appreciate what veterans, soldiers to this day, do for our country, have done for our country. It literally pains me. Um, that's what I loved about this show is, man, it's not just a TV show, it's history, and it saddens me that most people can't appreciate this freedom we have. And I could go on for weeks, so I'm going to stop now. But Well, uh, I think that would be a great stopping point. I was not going to add anything else, but I got to answer your question. Yes. Uh, who is it the pilots that who are the masters of air or was it the planes themselves that were masters of air? And I'm going to go... With that, it was the, the planes and the men who kept the planes up in the air, uh, being I the mechanics. That. Because the, the planes took a huge beating. They lost a lot of these B-17s until they started getting escorts with the, P, with the P-51 Mustangs. But until they got the P-51 Mustangs, these guys were taking a beating. Uh, and these planes could not have become masters of the air if you didn't have the grease monkeys patching them up every night with the gremlins or whatever the hell they had to make these things get up off the ground every single day, uh, which is an amazing feat on its own. Because I think, and I don't, like, I, I know I'm being kind of ridiculous saying the grease monkeys here, but, like, in this, in this series, too, they're showing you the pilots. They're showing you the planes. Yeah, they show you a little bit about the guys who are keeping these planes functional, but I don't think these—I don't think the mechanics or the grease monkeys are really getting as much credit as they really deserve. About because like when you see some of these planes after they get blown up, you're like how they the hell be too shit? Yeah, they did. It's like how do they get these things up in the air again? But yet they manage, and like you said, they—it's probably because of like the simplicity of it. They used aluminum. Uh, so that made it easier to weld some of these spots in and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think you, what you said about your friend is a great stopping point because there's nothing I can really say on top of that that would cover what these men did or what any serviceman or woman have done for our country and, and for us to be here today. Absolutely. So I guess with that, I mean, if you want to add any more, you can. But I was going to just say, if you're ready, I'm ready to call this one done. And you can tell us what next week's topic is. Uh, the last thing I wanted to say was, uh, Dad, you're an honorably discharged veteran. I love you. I don't thank you enough 
the world will never thank you or any honorably discharged veteran enough. Doesn't matter what form of the military any of you are in. Uh, you all served, and uh, man, I love you so much. I don't, again, I don't say it enough. Appreciate you. Hey, cheers, Milton. I love you, Dad. Cheers, Miss Wells. Uh, other than that, as we go into next week's Smarter Challenge. Watch the damn show, by the way. <laughs> yeah, uh, next week's Smarter Challenge. Man, this one's a tough one for me. Because um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if we should go modern or old school. And man. we're going to go slightly old school. Um, and we can talk a little bit about the actor himself, Mickey Rourke. But we're going to watch the movie The Wrestler. And uh, review what its symbolism and what the movie really kind of uh, means to us. All right. That sounds like a good, smart challenge. A little bit lighter, I think, hopefully, than this one. I think we in a kind of a dark note here. I, I don't know that it will. I think The Wrestler is a pretty dark movie, too, at the end of the day. Uh, that's that's the struggle, is man. I could go pick a comedy <laughs> right now, but at the end of the day, oh, uh, no, let's a, be, let's be real. Let's, let's that's like, just it. A few laughs won't make us grow, and I think as we do this show, what I want for our viewers to know is, hey, take a look at it. I I hate war too. Guess what? I don't want to fight anyone. At the end of the day, fights happened on our behalf that made this country a country that illegal immigrants are crossing a border illegally to get to. That's the only reason we have this country in the first place. I hate war too. True that. All right. Well, that being said, uh, thank you for all of you who lasted this long with us. Uh, we greatly appreciate all of you who watch us on YouTube and rumble, uh, as well as all the many listeners on our many different uh, podcast platforms. We greatly appreciate every single one of you. Uh, please like, share, subscribe our podcast if you like our content. Uh, leave some comments down below. And if you do feel the need that you want to, want to uh, contribute to our show, there is a link down below in the comments uh, for the uh, Podbean patron uh, where you can donate money to us to keep this uh this operation afloat. Uh, with that, uh, once again, thank you, everybody. I'm going to pass it on to Jesse to close us on out. All right. Remember, drink responsibly. Please do not drink and drive. Uh, and, man, life is great. That does not mo always mean it's going to be easy. I, in fact, it shouldn't be easy. Uh, and I just got to say it one more time. Dad, I love you. Um, I appreciate you. I respect you. And uh, I will forever cherish the time you shared with me to make me understand Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet until next week's episode. Try that again. Scotchman. Cheers. We hope you enjoyed this evening's episode of Scotch Hour. If you did, please like, 
share, and subscribe. Also, if you have not done so already, please become a Patreon member with memberships starting as low as $1 a month. Thank you, and hopefully you have a wonderful evening.